0: This morning, I want to take some time and I want to talk to you about our children. Um, as you can see i 'm wearing my kid's life sweat shirt thingy uh, because I believe so much in the ministry uh, this church provides two children uh, but also uh, because I believe in children and uh, I want to talk to you this morning about not only our children but about parenting and uh, I realized that uh, when I just said that, uh, there's a certain percentage of you that immediately tuned out because in your mind, you're thinking, well, you know, I don't have kids in the house or whatever the case may be, uh, but let me, let me just push back and, and cause pause on that just for a moment because this is one thing I know to be true. In a room this size, uh, it, is, it is highly probable that you either have children right now, Uh, you will have children in the future, you have had children in the past, at the very least you know someone who has children and you have influence over them, all right? So this is applicable pretty much across the board, um, I would guess. But I want to share a burden that's uh, been resting on my heart uh, for a while, And uh, I want to begin with uh, Psalm 127. Again, this is a very common uh, verse of scripture, uh, but let's read together. It should be in your notes and on the screen. The psalmist writes this. He says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward for him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Father, this morning as um, we so humbly come before you, I want to ask for an extra measure of your presence, an extra measure of your anointing, an extra measure of ears to hear and hearts to understand and words to speak. I, I pray, Lord, as we dig into a whole lot of things concerning children and parenting, as I've just bombarded heaven with prayer, asking the Lord to speak specifically to individual parents and people related to their circumstance and their situation. The Spirit of the living God knows what's going on, even if nobody in the world does. And so, Holy Spirit, we trust you here in our time together to do that and to do it powerfully, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 and amen. Well, most of you know uh, my wife, Joy, and I, we have about 56 kids in our house. <laughs> this, last, uh, this last November, uh, we gave our oldest daughter away in marriage. Um, so we have, a, we have a 21-year-old daughter and we have a 2-year-old daughter and everything in between. And uh, we were able to give our daughter away, Autumn, uh, to marriage to a great young man, Andrew. Uh, we love him. Uh, her name was Autumn Rain Henderson, and now her name is Autumn Rain Main. Um, so we get a kick out of that. Um, we traveled to, to have their wedding ceremony, and there is a whole story in and of it of yourself. I'll, I'll be glad to tell you one day. But uh, we came back and just a few short weeks after we had gotten back from uh, the wedding, um, Autumn and Andrew called and they said, hey, can we come over for dinner? Uh, and I said, yes, of course, uh, which is not very common because there's something weird going on in the dynamic there because it's, it's as if our food just tastes better than their food or <laughs> there's something like that. I don't know, but they really like eating our food. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe they just don't have food. but. Um, <laughs> So they come over, which we love. I mean, we are we are super. Just we we love that. And so they came over, and um, after dinner, Autumn set us down at the table, and she said, "I have something I want to share with you." And in my mind, uh, it went back to some uh, a few months beforehand. We'd had conversations with them, and they um, they had talked about moving to Central Florida at some point because. Andrew has a lot of family in Central Florida and they were going to go there for a little while or whatever. So, in my mind, that's what it was. But Autumn then pushes a box over to our side of the table, and lo and behold, uh, Joy opens up the box and there's a baby outfit in the box. And um, uh, Autumn looks and she says, Dad, we're pregnant. And this was my face for the first five minutes. I didn't say anything because I didn't know what to say. And I said, hold on, you just got married. Like, and I started like doing the math. You know what I am like, <laughs> You know? In a few minutes, Autumn, dad, I want you to, this was a honeymoon baby, okay? We, you know, whatever. Is this important for me to you understand. I was like, well, you know, it's life regardless. And so, um. So excited. So, so this is my uh, formal announcement of that uh, Joy and I are now gonna be grandparents. Very excited about that. And um, I gotta be honest with you. I know, I know it's been on socials and stuff like that, but I gotta be honest with you. If I hear one more grandpa joke, I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> I came in from lunch the other day and um, there was a, a giant sign on my door that said Gramps in huge letters. And it said, knock very loudly. And uh, so the rest of the day, that's how it was when anybody wanted to come into the office. There was a wheelchair and other walking equipment in my office when I got in there. Which is crazy because I am far too young and good looking to be at the stage to have grandchildren. And Joy definitely is far too young and good looking. But um, that's where we're at. But we're, we're incredibly excited. I was so excited, in fact, um, very quickly after we found out, uh, I got online and I ordered uh, the baby, uh, its first gift. And, and so I want to share it with you. I have a photo of Autumn and Andrew. Um, I don't know if you can see it or not, but it says, what a baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I love what a burger. <laughs> so forever and always, that would be baby's first gift. Um, incredibly, in, incredibly excited about that i um, very excited. Um, as, as excited as we are about that, and I don't want to take away from that whatsoever. Um, the struggle with that type of information is that I know what this means for Autumn and for Andrew. Um, see, in, in our lifetimes, And in some generations of the past, but definitely in our lifetime, our children, including this child, have been born into war. And I don't mean nation against nation yet, but I mean they are born in a time where it's very dangerous for them to be alive if they make it that far. It's a time, you know, Paul talks about, he says, listen, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against evil and principalities and darkness and wickedness and demonic forces. And it's as if there's like this, this spiritual struggle that has so intensified specifically in our nation that it's like overflowing with physical effects. It's not, it's not super Um, it's not super uncommon when you look at the story of Scripture. There are moments in Scripture where uh, it was a very dangerous time to be alive as a child. I think about Moses and um, Pharaoh catches wind that his people, the, the Hebrews who are his slave force. There's, there's a rumor that comes that there's going to be born of the Hebrews, a man who's going to rise up and he's going to deliver them from Egyptian bondage and implode the kingdom of Egypt. And so Pharaoh goes and you know um, the events. He goes and he begins telling the midwives to snuff out the lives of the firstborn males that are born in every Hebrew family. We're talking two, three million people alive and the women that had the babies, the the firstborn male child snuffed their life out before they can take their first breath. There was a little bit of internal rebellion and so that plan didn't work. So Pharaoh just sends his forces in and he says, you know what, instead of doing that, let them be born, take them and throw them into the Nile. They can drown, they can be eaten by crocodile or hippopotamus or whatever the case may be. Just go ahead and snuff their lives out. We see, in Scripture, there's this, this idol, this, this God that's worshipped. They make a statue of his name is Moloch. And people would bring their children and they would sacrifice their children on the altar of Moloch in hopes that he would respond with good fortune or you know, monetary gain or whatever the case may be. But it was, a, it was a very dangerous time to be alive if you were a child in that day. And I look at Jesus' life. Herod has caught wind that uh, out of the Jewish people, there's going to be a Messiah, a king, that's going to rise. And even among the Jews, they believed that the Messiah was going to be a king to overthrow the earthly government, Okay, which he will at some point, but he did not do that in that moment. So Herod catches wind of this, and so he sends his minions out to Bethlehem because he's kind of pinpointed the time and the location. And for every male child aged two and under, he sends... His people to slaughter them. I have a photo I want to show you. This is a painting called The Massacre of the Innocents. I've had to edit some things here because it's it's pretty graphic, um, especially the bottom portions. But what you see here is you see men who are literally ripping children from their mothers and their grandmothers. You see women who are fighting with everything in their power, clawing their faces, doing anything they can to prevent these men from taking out the lives of these children. But nonetheless, you see that these men were successful in their their venture. They go and they slaughter the innocents. We find, you know, in in history, um, there were probably... Um, about 20 to 40 children who were slaughtered during that time, which, you know, in, in, uh, in our world, when we look at, you know, 8 billion people that live, you may have a tendency to say, well, that's only or, or 20 or 40. First off, let me remind you, that's 20 or 40 souls. But secondly, let me remind you that in Bethlehem, there was a population of less than 1,000 people. Friends, that's as if here at our church, the government were to come in and to take 20 or 40 of our babies and take out their lives. That's the impact that that moment had and it's been all throughout history. And the reality is this, those children were born at very dangerous times. A true reality for us is that our children are being born at a very dangerous time. Listen, we see that in the attack on the unborn through abortion. And let me just remind us, listen to me, that fight's not over. I want to remind us that that you know at some level we had some type of moral victory last year, but listen to me friends, it's it's not over. All all that has done was was provoke the demonic influence once again to rise to their own occasion. The fight's far from being over. But listen to me say this, since in the last 3 years There and and you can't you it's like you can't put your finger on it and you can't point to it exactly. But if you are spiritually attuned whatsoever, you know that everything is different over the past three years. There is an unprecedented new attack on the coming generations in our land. It's as if if God, and and I do believe this, I believe that God has begun to lift his protective hand off of us as as an act of judgment because of our continuous rebellion and provoking him. I believe that he's begun to lift his hand of protection and as he did, the spirit of Antichrist filled those caveats. And he came in and he is running amok we're seeing unprecedented attacks on our children physically, yes, but listen to me, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, mentally, their entire well-being is being attacked. And listen to me say this. It's almost as if in this, in this contention in the spirit realm has so intensified, it's overflown to the physical realm, and it's so much so, That it seems that our common enemy is no longer suffice to just take their physical lives. It's as if he is now after their souls. It's as if the physical life, that's fine, but he knows that those babies are in heaven. As tragic as it is, that Jesus has carried those babies to heaven. And we believe that and we're thankful for that. But I'm telling you, there's another side to this thing. And our children that, that live today, they are under attack in a way that you and I have never been under attack. Listen to me, I'm gonna tell you a lot of stuff, and I guarantee you 95% of what I'm gonna tell you today is not news to you. But I want you to hear me say this. When we begin to talk about the the uh, digression of our culture. I need us to understand that when our children hear about these things, they do not hear it the same way that you and I hear it. When we begin to talk about human sexuality, you and I hear that through a lens because most of us were raised in a culture where some of the things they're talking about today, that's illogical. It makes no sense whatsoever. But our children are being indoctrinated on every level of society and there's conflict and there's co- confusion and they need good and godly parents and grandparents and churches to rise to the occasion and to set things right for them. Man, the, the, the cancers of our society when, when, you know, I was born in 1980. Most of you were born far before that. No, I'm kidding. But, man, I remember being born and, and not being born, but living in the 80s. That would be amazing. Traumatic, probably. Okay. All right. The cancers used to be little pockets in our society. You know what I mean? And, and, and for most people, even culture, friends, even culture, understood the lines of morality what was moral and what was immoral for for so long and that line doesn't doesn't even exist anymore but the the pockets of cancer throughout our society have metastasized and they've grown into something that is absolutely unrecognizable in the, in the 60s and 70s, you have, you know, the sexual revolution that begins where uh, that's more just about freedom of sexuality and, you know, promiscuity and I can sleep with whoever I want to. But that thing has grown to, to, to something where when, when our children are being raised literally at the highest levels of our society, we cannot articulate what a male is and what a female is and what their differences are. At the highest levels of society. And if they can't understand at the highest levels of society, the whole intent is for that information to indoctrinate the lowest levels of society. And listen to me, whether you like to hear it or not, and whether you believe it or not, it's happening. And it's not just happening at certain schools. There, there are great schools still, in, I believe, in this area, that are, that are not teaching crazy things, okay? But listen to me, we live and our world has shrunk. We are a, an incredibly globalized world. And there are things that our children are hearing and being taught in discussions that are happening at school, and they are being confused about so many different things. You want an idea of of how how far we have fallen from grace? Uh, I was reading an article one time about the Brady Bunch, and it was saying that the writers as they were writing the script and they were trying to do character development and give everybody a story. They were basically saying that, that Greg is the dad, right? I said it in first service and I couldn't. It, Greg was the dad, right? Mike, Mike, not Greg. Okay, thank you, yes. Mike is the dad. And they were, they were like, if we're gonna blend these two families together, we gotta give Mike a backstory, like what happened to his wife? And so they wrote in that Mike's wife had died, okay? Well, they were gonna take the mom and they said, well, we don't want to make her a widow because it's, it's too similar. So we want to make it like she, was, she had left her husband, that she had divorced her husband. But do you know that they chose not to write that part into the script? They left it a mystery. They never spoke to what happened to her husband because they felt like it was too controversial to put on TV that a woman had left her, wife, her husband. Listen to me. That was 50 years ago. 50 years ago, and look at where we are today related to family and relationships and sexuality, all these kind of things. You take the lust for power that men and women in our nation have, and they've, it's, it's turned them into despicable people, absolutely untrustworthy, despicable people. You know, we talk about abortion and Roe v. Wade and, and, and these things, uh, this, this, whole, this whole argument has created, listen to me, if you go and you watch the marches that happen and, and the, the, the conventions that are promoting this type of behavior, it is incestuous and it's insatiable. It's like they're bloodthirsty for the lives of our children. It's unnatural, it's not normal. It's not okay, but it's common. And it's been normalized in our culture. And listen to me say this again. I need need this to sink in. When you hear that, you think of it one way. But when our children hear it, there's conflict. There's confusion. There's not, yeah, I know this is what mom and dad said, but this is what culture says. Where do I land with this? And they have to be nurtured and brought along. Man, we live in a society where, you know, and, and so, you know, the church can take a certain level of responsibility for the scandals and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we live in a culture that has, that has lived in Darwinianism and which has evolved into a new type of atheism and a pseudoscience and all this kind of stuff where it's no longer just dismissing God. Now it's against God. It's against anything that resembles Christ. And so you can see if you look deep enough that there is a digression of these these pockets of cancer and they have just grown into one another. And it's confused and it's blurred. It's a great delusion that we see so much in our nation. So, am I excited to be a grandfather? You bet your bottom dollar. And I'll celebrate the life of that child every chance I get. But I understand what this means for Autumn and Andrew as parents of this child. That they cannot casually raise a child and just hope for the best. They've gotta be a man and a woman who draw a line in the sand. And they say, listen, you you can mess with my car, you can mess with my money. You can mess with my cat. Please kill my cat. But listen to me. There's a line. And if you start messing with my babies, it's going to get ugly. And I'm not calling. I'm not calling for, obviously, I hope this is obvious, I'm not calling for any type of violence or anything. But listen to me, there's got to be a fortified spirit in the people of God as we raise our children where we are not willing to bow the knee. Just because everybody says it doesn't make it true and it doesn't make it right. There's a standard. There's a standard that we have in God's word. And so listen to me, listen to me say this. I want want the burden of my heart to really be understood, I think, when when I make this statement. Children, although they are the greatest blessing, children are the greatest blessing. The Bible says they are a reward. It's like the Father in heaven is knitting these children in his womb as a gift. And he goes, Justin, it's a reward. It's a gift for you. They are the greatest gifts. But I'm telling you this, children, as great of a gift as they are, they come with a burden. And that burden rests squarely on the shoulders of their parents and their grandparents, their family, and their churches to raise them in the ways of the Lord and not to cave to a broken, evil, vile, wicked world. Now, I know that you're super encouraged right now Listen to me, Say says, before you get discouraged, let me say that while it is one of the most dangerous times to raise children, can I remind us it's also one of the greatest times to raise children. Do you know why? Because light shines brightest in the darkest places. And listen to me say this, do you know why I have do you know why I have, man, uh, just something, when, when this begins to, to uh, come into my soul and, you know, I, I'm reminded of the burden of parenting my children, it's as if the Spirit of the Lord awakens a fight inside of me. You know, where I'm, I'm just not willing. I'm just not willing. I'm not willing to negotiate. I'm not willing to compromise. I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. And I want to, I want to simply remind you of, of this eternal truth that you as a parent, out of all the scope of human history, you as a person, you as a parent, you as a grandparent, whatever, out of the scope of human history, that God Almighty before the foundations of the earth designated, he ordained, he purposed you to live in this moment. Knowing the chaos Knowing the confusion, knowing the frustration, knowing the the influx and the intensity of the spiritual warfare manifesting in the the physical realm. Knowing all this, he positioned us. And he said, listen, I want you to be reminded, John said. He said, you can do, you can win, you can be successful in this. Why? Because the spirit that lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in this world. I think that when I look at the onslaught of children in our culture, I think for me what it does is I look into scripture and I look at where we're at and I try to, I try to you know, separate what's for what. I, I sometimes have a little bit different view, so take this for, for what you uh, take it or leave it. But this is kind of how I view. These kind of things don't cause me to cower and to be afraid. Um, they cause me to, to want to stand, okay? And, and, and part of it is because when I look in Scripture, when I see men who are illogically attacking children, Pharaoh, Herod, it's illogical. It's illogical what they're doing. They're slaughtering the innocents, but do you know why they're slaughtering the innocents? It's because their kingdom is being threatened, you hear me say that? Listen to me. I take a, a little bit different take on this. And I say that there is an illogical attack on our children today because darkness has a new threat. And the new threat are our sons and daughters in the generations to come. Because I believe through the lens of the Spirit, I believe that in, that in cultures all around the world, even in, even in our Western culture... I believe that there are gonna be pockets of young men and women who are raised up with the fiery spirit of God, who not only love Jesus and who are are willing to give their lives for the sake of the cross, but they're people who know God and they walk with God and they hear God and they understand doctrine and they are able to preach the Bible truly for what it is. As the spirit of God goes out from them, Cultures begin to go in upheaval. Now listen to me. When something like that happens, all of a sudden you can't expect peace. You've got to anticipate kickback, a, a whiplash, a backlash. You've got to anticipate something like that. But listen to me, friends. Are we just going to fold because we don't want the kickback? No. It's for our children and for their children and for their children. Listen to me say this, none of that happens, none of that happens until we choose this moment in history to say, no, I'm I'm done with that. I'm not going to fold, I'm not going to cave, I'm done with that. I am going to intentionally raise my children for the glory of God. You guys, listen to me. It used to be, I've said it. It used to be that we could trust culture somewhat to teach our kids some things. It's, it's true. When I was growing up, there were some things that my parents probably entrusted culture. It was oh, they'll be fine. And, and it was probably good for me. You guys, that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist anymore. And so there has to be an, an, a very intentional effort to parent our children so that they can become all that God has called them to be. Now, very quickly, before we get into the principles I want to share with you, I want to, I want to share five very, very quick disclaimers, okay? Number one is this. Please, for the love of heaven, understand that there are no perfect parents. And I, can I just, can I bear my, so I need you to understand that this isn't, This isn't a perfect parent trying to tell you how to perfect parent, okay? This is one beggar saying, hey, bread! It's over there and it's good. That's all that this is. Parenting is a huge effort of trial and error. It's falling and getting back up and falling and getting back up and trying this, it doesn't work. And listen to me, in my parenting, there has been far more erroring than there has been trialing, okay? (laughs) Okay. And so I just want to I I like level the playing field here and say that this is not somebody who thinks they, they know everything or it, it's, it could not be further from the truth. We, if we are honest, we all have things, moments in our parenting that we're ashamed of, right? We all have times where we've lost our temper or we've said the wrong thing or we've said yes when we should have said no. We all have those moments and we we would be humiliated if somebody stood here and and shared them all. And if you don't have one of those moments, just give it time. At least till three o'clock and you should have a story. No perfect parents. Second disclaimer, there are no perfect parenting philosophies. Listen, I am all about different philosophies, okay? Buy the books. Go to the conferences, listen to the podcast, okay? I don't care. I think they're helpful. I, I really do. There are a lot of things that I learn from different parenting philosophies that I may implement into the, the raising of my children. But, but listen to me, uh, regardless of what philosophy, that's not what I'm here for today. I'm not here to try to talk you into a new fad or a new trend. I'm here saying, listen, there's a book that has principles that are timeless, And they've gotten every Christian culture through their wars and their pandemics and their famines, and they have enabled parents to raise up good and godly children. That I I don't care if you wanna, you know, well, they say you shouldn't, you know, let your kids eat bread. Well, no, they said you should let your kids eat bread. I don't care if they wanna eat bread. I don't care. You do, that's between you and Jesus, okay? But what I wanna share are the timeless principles of God's word that, Lord willing, will help us cultivate children um, who who love Jesus. Number three, very quickly, you can do all the right things. Listen to me say this. You can do all the right things and still have children that go rogue. The Bible in, in Proverbs 22, Scripture says, Turn up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Right? We, we cling to that as we should. But it's important to understand that in Proverbs, uh, although it's Scripture, these aren't like promises or guarantees. This is a father writing to a son, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, listen, generally speaking, when you encounter this problem, if you deal with it this way, this is generally the outcome. If you deal with it this way, that's generally the outcome. And what the writer is saying is he's saying, listen, if you train a, a child in the way that they should go, generally speaking, it's going to end well for them, right? He's, he's speaking in a generic term because we all know this. If we're observant at whatsoever, we all know this. We all know people who have done all the right things and their children gone berserk. We've all known people who have a set of kids and they raised all the kids the same way and all the kids love Jesus except for one. They did all the right things, but this is what we call the choice of human will. And the unfortunate truth is this, is that regardless of what we do, that child still has to make a, a, a choice at some point. But I'm gonna tell you, the choice For God, the choice for the Christian faith, it is far more likely to happen if they had parents training them in that way. And so we can't leave things to chance. We also all know parents who've done everything wrong. They're not even in the picture. They were abusive. They were just terrible parents. And that kid turned out right. And you just want to go and smack everybody involved. What? This this doesn't make any sense. But we all know it to be true, but there is an element of the the will of each and every person. Number four, parenting is a process. In John 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he goes to the cross, and he says, Listen, there's so much more I want to do, and there's so much more I want to tell you, but I can't right now. And I just want to remind us as parents, as grandparents, as influences over children's lives, that, man, we are not in this for momentary successes. We're in this for the long game. And being in it for the long game means that you can't squeeze everything in into a two-week session. You can't steal your kids away on a a family vacation and teach them all these things and and things just be fine for the rest of their life. It is a long-game approach. And you've got to be methodical and do, practice the principles of God over and over and over again. You watch them succeed. You watch them fail. You watch everything in between. But parenting is a process. And then finally, number five, I just want to remind you. I just want to remind you. I feel so cliche and so redundant when I say this. But if God has given you children or influence over children, you can do it. You can do it. Oh, it just seems like a lot. It is a lot. That's why it's called a burden. Listen, James Gall one time talking about parenting, this is what he said. He said, listen to me. If you find yourself standing before a Goliath, it's only because the living God sees a David inside of you. Listen to me, parenting is hard. Bro, I, I can't tell you how many times my heart's been broken, shattered by things that I've done, things that I haven't done, things they've done, things I've found out later, like you know, several years later that have happened or you know, all this kind of stuff. It's hard, man. It is not for the weary and it is not for the weak. But listen to me, you're not weak. It's a process. Trust the process. Lean into the principles of God. will enable you to do. All right, so here we go. I want to give you very, very quickly one principle. I call it a pre-principle before we get into the other principles. Very, very quickly. It's what I call same page parenting. This is what I mean by that. If you are raising children with a spouse If you are raising children with grandparents or family or cousins or friends, if you have influence over a child's life, immediate influence over a child's life as you rear them, it is so fundamentally important that you all be on the same page regarding that child. If not, if you're not on the same page, then what you have is schizophrenic parenting, right? And what this means is, well, mom may have said this, but I'm gonna go to dad and see what he says, right? Listen to me, it happens almost every day in my life, okay? You know, number 14 will come in and be like, hey dad, you know, can I, the first question, I've learned, I've learned. The first question I ask, have you asked mom? And if she or he says no or yes or whatever, well, whatever mom said, because you've already asked her and she's already set the standard. Amos 3 says this, can two people walk together without agreeing on a direction? No. And if you can't walk the same road without agreeing on a direction, there ain't no way you can raise children without agreeing on on the the direction. There is a power that comes in agreement. I'm going to give you a negative example here. At 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 the Tower of Babel, you remember all the nations of the earth spoke the same language. The Bible says that, that certain people gathered in a certain area and they began to build this tower and they were going to, you know, uh, build a tower to God. And the, the Bible says that the Lord looks down and the Lord says this. He says, because they are united and because they speak the same language, that power of agreement, the Lord God himself said this. There's nothing they can't do. And so he comes and he disrupts it because it's a negative example. But I'm just telling you in parenting, listen, there's nothing you you can't do. And it doesn't matter if you have a spouse who's in the picture or not. If there is agreement and alignment, it's so fundamentally important. But that power of agreement is a huge principle when it comes to parenting our children. Okay, so here we go. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you 13 very quickly. 13 principles from scripture, okay? Now, I want to say a couple of things. First off, I want to say this. Nothing that I say today is going to be new. You're going to be like, I read that before. I've heard that before. Yep, it's not about hearing. It's about practice, okay? The second thing I want to say is that um, I am probably not going to say everything well, okay? And you're probably not going to hear everything well. Okay, so I'm gonna take the, the, the place of that and I'm just gonna ask you to give me grace today. That's what I'm gonna ask you because I am gonna blitz through this sucker really quickly and there's a potential that I'm gonna leave some things off that I should have said, so I'm just gonna ask you to give me grace. Can you give me grace today? Yes, okay, thank you, thank you so much. 80 of you agreed with that. All right, <laughs> power of agreement. Principles for parenting, number one. Children greatly benefit when their parents pray. Paul wrote to Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. That's obvious. If you're a parent, if you have people who are in your life, it's probably true that throughout your life, as you're driving, you're praying for your kids or your spouse or whomever. Uh, That's probably true. Um, And we we need to do that. We don't need to discount that by any stretch. But what I want to emphasize today is that there need to be seasons or moments that are very intense and specific related to prayer in our children because there are certain things in our children's lives that need to be targeted and they need to be added or they need to be dismantled. And so I believe that uh, we need to be a people that, that really, especially if we feel the prompting of the Spirit, we need to be prepared to go to war in prayer. Again, it's fine to just kind of pray throughout the day. We need that, okay? But there are moments where we really have to dig in and we have to, uh, you know, go to war. Um, I I, I have no idea why, but I remember there was a specific... I mean, I remember the night. I remember where I was. It was one of those kind of encounters. And I sensed the Spirit of the Lord call me to pray. And so uh, as I went in to pray... The only thing I contended for, it, it was almost as if the Lord just settled in my mind that this, this moment of prayer, you were contending for the souls of Ottoman and Easton. I really felt that. I, I can't show you in Scripture or anything like that, but I remember I remember the night I remember where I was, and I'm going to tell you, I prayed until I couldn't pray anymore, because I felt the burden of oh my now that's not to say God wouldn't save their souls if I didn't. It's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is this, is that I had decided I felt the prompting of God and I prayed until I was through praying for them. And I don't know if that means that there were things that were edged out of their life or if God's protective hand came in an extra measure or if God spoke to them because, you know, prayer cleared the spiritual atmosphere. I don't know what it is, but I remember the burden and just carrying it in prayer and then I remember when it finally broke through. And I'm telling you, there's a difference And there are times where we have to pray like that. And there are times where we have to just consecrate that I'm going to seek God for my children. Steve Hill, one of the great evangelists of, of, uh, you know, the last century who had a huge part in the Brownsville revival, he talked about praying one time. And he, he talked about something called visualizing prayer. And this is what he said. He said, when I go to pray, he said, I don't, when i'm when i go into the closet and i'm praying for the souls of men and women that i'm about to preach to He said, I don't just pray for their souls, but I visualize their response. I visualize people shooting up out of their seats and rushing to an altar. When I pray for my children, when I pray that they will have the fruit of the Spirit, I don't just generally pray that they'll have the fruit of the Spirit. I visualize them having the fruit of the Spirit. I visualize a move of God. I visualize these things. And he said, what it does is it stirs my faith. It gives me something to see that's unseen and something to hope for that's not actualized. And Those are the moments that that we need to really contend for our children as we pray. Number two, children benefit when parents set a good and godly example. Listen to me. You can be a good dad without being a godly dad. You can be a good dad and love your children and provide for your children and make sure that their needs are met without living out a godly example for those children. But listen to me say this, you can't be a godly dad without being a good dad. It just automatically happens. And so we need parents who will set a good and godly example. Our kids need to see our work ethic. They need to see us operating in generosity. They need to see integrity. Listen to me. Our children need to see us apologize when we're wrong. Our children need to see us humble ourselves and repent when we have blown it. And our children need to see us stand up for what's right to defend the weak to promote them, to encourage along. People need to see that good example, but also the godly example. Number three, children benefit when parents give them realistic expectations. Listen to what Proverbs uh, 21 says. He says, despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. Did you know that work is a spiritual activity. And listen, I know a lot of people, if you if you misread Genesis, the, the opening chapters, you can misread that and you can assume that work is a curse from God. Work is not a curse from God. Work came long before the fall. Work was a gift from God as a spiritual outpouring in the physical realm of doing and working and having purpose and all of these things. And I said it before and I'll say it again. You guys, we can't, we can't trust the world to teach our children about responsibility. We, we can't trust the world. I was at, I was at a, a, a school and one time and, and they were it was like an award ceremony or something like that. And uh, the people that were talking, they emphasized how they are raising up student athletes and they emphasized we are students first and then athletes. And then as the person kept talking, they ended up divulging what they mean by a student athlete. And they said that the students must maintain a D average. What? Listen, I I do, I'm an adjunct at a, a Christian university. And over the past few years, there have been things at a number of different schools where, where basically, basically, if you pay, you pass. The, the, the word count on assignments is no longer a thing. That whatever you wanna write. And listen to me, you, you, you think I'm kidding? I will have students write two sentences. I've had it happen. There is this idea that as long as they do something it's enough, but it's not responsible, and I guarantee you it doesn't honor the Lord. God is very emphatic when he talks about work. And so I think that for our children, listen, it's, it's important for them to have age-appropriate responsibilities. It's okay to tell them they got to make their bed, which we've never told our kids to make their bed, but if you want to do that, that, that's between you and Jesus. It's okay to say, hey, man, I need you to take out the trash every day at 8 p.m., Okay? Well nope, I need you to take it out of the can, okay, at 8 p.m. No, I need you to take it out of the can and out of the house at 8 p.m. No, nope, I need you to take it out of the can, out of the house, and to the dumpster at 8 p.m. You got it? Got it. All right, you gotta be clear. But all I'm saying is that it's okay to set realistic expectations. It helps them to grow into mature and responsible adults. And it is a spiritual principle that God emphatically communicates to us. Okay? Number four, children benefit when parents appropriately discipline and when they discipline appropriately. Okay? Paul writes to the Ephesians, fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So the first thing that I think is important to understand is that the right kind of discipline is not abusive. And, and we all should know this, okay? I'll never forget Jack Taylor one time. We were at breakfast right down here at the, the Doubletree, and we were talking about parenting, And he said, You know what's interesting about most parents? He said, When they go to discipline their children, it's not really discipline. I was like, What are you, are you okay? What are you talking about? And he said, No, no, follow me. He said, When most parents go to discipline their children, it's not discipline, it's revenge. Because the parent has been so deeply wounded or hurt or offended by what the child has done that they have, you know, it's basically become payback. And so I want to say that regardless of how we choose to discipline our children, the right kind of discipline won't be abusive emotionally or physically, okay? There has to be a motive to our discipline, and this is that motive. Paul Tripp wrote this. He said this, At its core, our parenting must be rooted in a desire for children to have a new heart, not just good behavior. You hear that? It's not just about good behavior. It's about cultivating an environment, even through our discipline, where they have a new heart and they understand why they're being disciplined and they can grow from that. But it's difficult. It's difficult to be the adult in certain moments. This last week, one of my particular children is acting out in certain ways. And so earlier this week, my wife just went by, not to like, you know, she, it wasn't a full-out spanking or anything she went by and she swatted her butt as, as to jar her back into reality. This little one I was like this, she looks back, and she goes, "Is that it?" I ran. I ran out of the house. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Fire and stuff started coming out of Joy's mouth. No, I'm kidding. My point is this. It's, it's, it's tough to remain the adult. It, it is. It just is. And if you can't identify with that, you're not a parent. You're a grandparent. Okay? It's difficult It's difficult to stay the adult and to keep your cool. But listen to me, it's so necessary. If not, you will be nothing more than an ogre. That's all you are, and they may fear you, but it won't be a reverential fear. It'll be a fear that's not good and it doesn't lead to good places. So the right kind of discipline isn't abusive, but the right kind of discipline also isn't assumed, okay? I think every individual child is, is created differently and they need to be disciplined differently. And, and here's the real kicker. Uh, once you figure out the, the best way to discipline this child, um, give it two years and that probably changes to a different form of discipline. It's, it's super frustrating, <laughs> okay? It, it'll make you, if anything wants make you want to give up, it's, it's stuff like that, okay? But, but here's the thing. What we cannot do is we cannot assume certain disciplines are just going to work even if they're not really working. I've heard a thousand people say, well, uh, my daddy spanked me and I turned out just fine. Okay. Well, first off, did you? Okay. Um, And, and second, listen, I understand the logic, but it's, it's not scientifically correct. When, when a husband has a certain DNA and his wife has a certain DNA and those create a new life. There is a new DNA that's forged. And so just to say, well, it worked for me. It's got to work for them. That, that doesn't make sense. There has to be an intentional understanding of who the child is, how God has made them and what they respond to. But I'm going to say this, hear my heart. When I say this, you guys, we cannot be afraid to discipline our children. Listen to what uh, the writer of Proverbs says. Three different things. Number one, he says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, now pause just for one second. The writer uses the word the, the rod of discipline, okay? He's not advocating that you go find a metal, you know, you know rebar and like, ah, I told you to do the dishes. That's not what he's saying whatsoever. It was just, it was, it's phraseology, It's saying, listen, uh, and and some people in that day, they would, you know, discipline that way. But he's not advocating for this is the right way. He says, don't withhold discipline. And listen to what he says. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Right? Listen, he says, even if you punish them with the rod, probably not going to die. So listen to me. The way that we raise our children, regardless of how we choose to discipline them, unless you're just, you know, way out there and crazy, they're not going to die, okay? So we can't be afraid It's so necessary because Proverbs 23 says that folly is bound in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. So what scripture is saying is that in the heart of every child, there's folly, there's foolishness, there's a, you know, a hint of wickedness and the brokenness. But man, as you begin to discipline, it unbinds that heart so that heart can be free. Not free to sin, but free not to sin. And so we, we have to be a people who are willing to discipline our children because listen to me say this, the immediate goal of raising children is not friendship. The ultimate goal is friendship. There's nothing, very few things that I want more than for my children to find their way back home when they're older. To to have the call, I wanna come and I wanna sit and I wanna have dinner. There's nothing, very few things that I want more than that. I'm just simply saying that the immediate goal of parenting is not so we can be buddies. That is a long-term goal and listen to me, that is a worthy goal. But it's not the immediate goal. The immediate goal is to get foolishness out of the heart. Number five, children will benefit when parents get into their world. One of my mentors, and I'm only going to say this, said this. If you want your kids to be into the thing that you're into, which is Jesus, then you need to be into the things that they're into. And listen to me. I I try to get my kids, and I'm talking about just hobbies and stuff like that, the way that I live, all that kind of stuff. I, 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 make my, I expose my kids to the things that I love, but I don't force them to be a part of the things that I love. And I don't vicariously live my life through them by forcing them to partake in certain things that are my passion, not necessarily their passion. And so we, we've got to be people that, that are willing to get into the world of our children. Number six, children benefit when parents discern when to speak life and when to speak death. Proverbs 18:21 The tongue has the power of life and death. Listen, when we verbally bless our children. You realize that in Old Testament, you realize that people were they were killing each other over the blessing of a parent. We cannot underestimate the power of listen to me. It's not just words. Something happens. Something is supernatural. It's unseen. It's really unknown. But when we choose to bless our children, something happens in the spirit realm, and something happens in the soul of our children. I'm not talking about lying to our kids, right? This is like you know all the the shows. Americans Got Talent. You know even. The, these uh, all these different shows, you'll see like certain stages and you'll see people that are singing and you're like, for the love of God, who told them they could sing, okay? Please, if your kid can't sing, don't ask Pastor Glenn to put them up here, okay? I'm just saying this, that, that we need to make sure that, that we are blessing the right things and we're not making them believe something that's false. But what that means is that means looking for the right things, not just the wrong things okay? And so we, we've got to remember the power of blessing. Um, I'll never forget, you know, there, there are times where um, you do want to kind of, uh, through blessing, you want to call things out of children. One of my um, mentors in my life, he used to always call me, and he would write, like when he would write me a letter or whatever, he would always address it, St. Corey, even as a child. And I was like, that's so bizarre. Like, what era are you living in, you know? <laughs> And so one day I asked him, I was like, what is this about, you know? And he said, well, listen, I call all the people that I love and I'm close to, I call them by saint, because I just believe that if I call them by that, that perhaps they will rise to the occasion and live like that. And listen to me, there are some times where we got to call that good out of our children. Listen to me, you're not a bad kid. You had a bad moment, but you love Jesus and you are kind to other people. And we're going to get through this. There there are times where you pull that out. So there are times where we need to speak life, but also times when we need to speak death. There comes a time where it says, look, that's not going to fly. You can't say that. You can't hit your brother with a pan. You can't, you know, whatever. There need to be certain times where we put limitations. We say, no, I'm, I'm speaking death to this situation. We just got to make sure that we're not speaking death over them as individuals, okay? Number seven, very quickly. uh, Children benefit when surrounded by godly influences. Proverbs 13, listen to this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. This principle is so powerful. You know the the phrase, uh, uh, birds of a feather flock together? You know where that comes from? Proverbs, it comes from the Bible because it's true. We tend to be like those that we are around the most. Some psychological studies would suggest that if you take your five closest friendships, you are an average of those five people, no matter who those people are. And it it just further goes on to solidify what scripture says, those who become wise, uh, walk with wise, become wise. So what we're in the business of as parents is creating this ecosystem, right? We're creating godly influences in this ecosystem where, I allow my children to be exposed to certain members of my family, but there may be certain members of my family that are toxic and not okay for my kids. And so I'm going to not be extreme or dramatic, but I'm going to edge them out. I'm going to make sure that my friends that I bring around my son are a representation of me. That's why my friendship circle is a little small. So I'm gonna choose the church that I allow my children to be a part of based off this influence of who I want them to become. Who do I want them to rub shoulders with? Who do I want to go through the difficult things of life with? Listen, the idea of show me your friends and I'll show you your future is so true. It's so cliche, but it is so true. And I'm gonna tell you this, i be praying that the Lord rips people out of my kids' lives that don't need to be there and replaces them with the kids that do need to be there. I pray that all the time. And listen to me. There have been one or two times where it has caused like destruction or seeming destruction on one of my children. They were just devastated. But I guarantee you, if you ask them today, they would be so grateful that the Lord ripped them out of their lives and replace them with who he has. And so we, we need to be in the business of creating these ecosystems. Listen to me, ask, again, I'm wearing the Kids Life shirt. It's so important that your kids be a part of a church. They be a part of, of, of a youth ministry, young, whatever the case may be. Because listen, it's not that the church is gonna give them all the answers. You wanna, know why, you wanna know why so much of evangelical Christians are falling apart right now? It's because so many parents have said, well, the church will take care of spiritual things instead of being the spiritual leaders and training our children ourselves. And so we, we've got to get our kids plugged into things like that. Number eight, children benefit when parents guard their hearts. Proverbs 4, guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of their lives. not going to get into all this. I, I just simply want to say this, that our children are not mature enough to guard their own hearts. And I love you. Listen, if you're a kid here today, I'm not talking down to you at all. I love you with all my heart. It's the only reason I'm saying all this stuff, but I'm just saying, uh, uh, studies would say that the human brain isn't even fully developed and, and, and able to think as a logical adult until they're 25 years, okay? Whew, that's horrible, okay, but it's, okay, what are you gonna do with it, okay? But yeah, we're giving out license when they're 15 and drinking, okay, here we go. Vote for the next leader of the free world, please, person without a developed brain, okay. Um, I'm just kidding, you know I love you guys. If you know me, you know I love you. Um, but let me, let, me, let me just simply say this. Christian culture in the West has shifted. See, we used to say, well, whatever the Bible says, that's how I'm going to guard my children. That's how I'm going to guard my own life. What does the Bible say about this? What has happened is that we have shifted from Scripture to conscience. Now, conscience is a gift from the Father. Okay, I believe that. The problem is, is that Paul writes and he says, but your conscience can be seared. Like, it can be cut off, it can be dead, but it's ironic that he calls scripture the living word of God. I was, uh, Pastor Glenn and I did our, our master's uh, program together uh, a few years ago, and man, I sat at a table with, with what I would have considered spiritual giants. Mega churches, people who speak at conferences, you know, all around the world, different things. And I remember sitting there as we're eating and just talking about different things, how the conversation shifted to what we watch on TV, okay? And I'm not here to nitpick, okay? Just take it for what it is. But I remember with these people I would have considered spiritual giants, how they began to talk to me about how their favorite show, this will tell you how long ago it was, was Game of Thrones. Now, if you've watched Game of Thrones, please come back to church, yada, yada, yada. Okay, but let me tell you this. From what I know, and whatever, I've never seen the show, but what I've read, it's, it's basically pornography. There are moments that, that have full-fledged pornography, rape, sodomy, I mean, you name it, and, and shows pretty much everything. For a Christian spiritual leader to not be able to discern there's something wrong with his conscience, there's just something not okay, and so what I'm of the mode of, listen, okay, we need to adhere to our conscience, but the first stop needs to be scripture. What does the Bible say about what I'm doing or, or whatever? And listen to me, listen to me say this. If we can't guard our own hearts, it's going to be very, very difficult to guard the hearts of our children. So, so, so it starts with us as parents. Number nine, very quickly, children benefit when parents teach and talk about their relationship with the Lord. Um, man, it's so important that Uh, We help our children understand the nature of God, his goodness, his kindness, but also his wrath, the things that God loves, the things that God hates, that they understand spiritual laws, like sowing and reaping in their actions, tithing, the golden rule, caring for others, honor. These spiritual laws is so important that we teach our children these things. And it's so important, listen to me, it's so important that we help our kids settle in with the core doctrines of the Christian faith. I know this is not sexy, this is not popular, but hear me say this. When you read the the current studies of 2022, Of evangelical Christians and what they believe about God, the worship of God, salvation, the Holy Spirit, eternal destinations. You guys listen to me. It's not good. And I'm not talking about people in a faraway land. I'm talking about evangelical Christians. The statistics are not good. And so we've got to be people that help them understand what Christianity is. And listen to me. It's not difficult. It's not I have the most simplistic i'm, I'm almost I'm borderline ashamed to say um, how my how menial my uh devotional life with with my kids is so for for my son Easton, he's the last one to drop up at school, but there's like a forty minute window, so every morning when we go we we, we go through books of the Bible and we just read one chapter a day. that's all we do when we pray. that's all we do, right but he is pretty theologically astute just because of that simple measure. Because as we're going through the book of Mark, like for instance, a few weeks ago, there was a a Jesus gets baptized. Well, as Jesus is baptized, there's a picture of the triune God. You see represented in that moment, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I pause in a moment. I say, buddy, you've heard us talk about the Trinity. Super weird, super confusing. Let me explain this to you. And I just took a moment to do that. And that's it. That's it. And we pray. It takes like 10 minutes, 12 minutes, maybe okay? It's super, super simple, but again, it's about that intention. It's about getting back on the pony and making it happen. So we got to help our kids understand all those things, but listen to me. Can we, we have got to humanize our relationship with Jesus. Man, we have got to show our kids that we are very, very imperfect when it comes to our spiritual life. we got to, we've got to be honest when we blow it. I mean, within reason, you know, um, we've, I, mean, I mean, I'm just saying there are certain things that kids can handle and certain things that can't, okay? But we need to be honest with them when we've blown it. We need to be repentant with them and help them understand how we've blown it. But we also need to share our frustration, our hurt. I don't understand. I've been, I've been, I've been asking God for this for years and he still hasn't come through. I just don't understand. And what that does, it makes it less of a program and more of a person, So we got to humanize who Jesus is. Number 10, very, very quickly, I keep saying that, but it's not happening. Number 10, (laughs) children benefit when parents seek out others who are beyond them, beside them, and behind them. This is a simple mentoring principle found all throughout Scripture. Moses to Joshua, Elijah, Elijah, Jesus, disciples, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Titus. You see this on and on again all throughout Scripture. And all I'm going to say about this is is this. It's important for us in different seasons, depending on what season you're in, to have parents who have gone before you. If you are getting it, if if your kid is turning 12, you need to reach out to a parent that their kid is turning 22, so that you can just learn and glean from their godly wisdom of how they made it through the teen years. And it's important to have people around us. You're going through the same season as I am, but it's also important, listen to me, especially older, more mature parents, it's so important, man, that we reach back and help young parents yeah. learn to raise their children. So super important. Number 11, children benefit when parents prepare, prepare for and initiate difficult conversations. If you are not talking to your kids at an appropriate age about sex, racism, adoption, gender, politics, these kind of things, listen to me. Somebody else is filling that void. Okay? And so we've got to be prepared, right? And you know what what I mean when I say prepared? Go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about this? And then ask, what do I think about that? and then change your answer, whatever it is, to what the Bible says, okay? That's how you prepare, and then initiate um, these very, very difficult conversations. Number 11, number 11, that was number 11. Number 12, children benefit when parents prioritize their marriage relationship. Listen to me say this, over the last 20 years, there has been a, um, an unleashing of what I call kidolatry, and it's basically where parents are idolizing their children over everything else, including the marriage relationship. And what you begin to see, if you give it enough time, if the kid dictates your time, if the kid dictates your schedule, if the kid dictates what you eat and where you go and what you do, there may be a potential that that child has taken a place that God has not ordained them to take. The order in Ephesians 5 and 6 is husbands and wives, children. God, husbands, wives, children. And if any of those three get out of order, it's going to be disastrous. But in the last 20 years, we've seen it. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've probably seen it. Where everything rises and falls on what the kid wants to do. That is not the way of the Lord. And so we've got to be a people that prioritize our marriage relationships. What that means is investing time together. That means things like having a date night. It means things, Uh, Joy and I were asked to go uh, speak at uh, one of the life groups here from the church, the Pardue Life Group. All it is 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 a huge group of young married people and most of them have kids and it's awesome. And they were like, well, what about this? What about that? And the number one thing I told them, I said, if you don't hear anything else I say today, you need to hear me say this, don't stop doing this because you are investing in your marriage by getting a sitter and you're coming to a group of like-minded people and you're trying to have a healthy marriage, whatever you do, Don't stop doing this. And so we've got to learn to prioritize our marriage relationship. It is the way of the Lord. And listen to me just say this with three minutes left. Prioritizing our marriage relationship means time. It means being on the same page, but it also means honor. If you do not honor your spouse in front of your children, you cannot expect your children to honor you or your spouse. It is, honor is a, is a scriptural principle, and it's a sowing and a reaping principle. And so we have. To, they say, "Well, well, they don't honor me. Why should I honor them? Well, number one, we're not in third grade. But number two, I don't honor people because they honor me. I honor people because I'm an honorable person. Does that make sense? So you don't honor people because they treat you right. You honor people because you are an honorable person. And let the chips fall where they may. That was so mean. I'm just kidding. You, I hope you know my heart. I'm not okay, I hope so. Anyway, here we go. Finally, number thirteen with two minutes left. Children benefit when parents are healed and whole. That's right. Years ago, man, I saw I saw I saw this in Luke chapter four, where Jesus is praying for Peter's mother in law. Which is, you know. Jesus goes, the Bible says he bends over, he prays for her. And as soon as she is made whole, the Bible says immediately she got up and she began to serve them. And it was such like a moment. You know, sometimes when Scripture just comes alive to you, it was this understanding that, man, we can serve when we're unhealthy. But when we are healthy, there is an immediacy there. and There is a, there is a depth there that's not there when we're not whole. And so moms and dads, grandparents, whatever, okay, let me, let me just simply say this. If there's stuff broken in you, please, for the sake of your children, get to it. Don't think that, that you can go too far in, in, in getting healing for yourself. A few weeks ago, I'm going to risk it here. I know Pastor's watching today, but I'm going to risk it here, and I'm going to paraphrase something Pastor said a couple weeks ago. So, Pastor, please don't fire me. I'm just, I hope you'll understand this. This is what he said a couple weeks ago. Again, this is a paraphrase. He said, listen, if you are judgmental about people who go to therapy or counseling or need medication to heal their wounds, then it's likely you haven't been hurt deep enough to understand And I stand before you today humbly, not arrogant at all, borderline humiliated. But I stand before you today and say that there there have been times in my life where I've said, for the sake of my family, I'll do anything. I'll go to therapy. I'll take the medication. I'll go to this counselor. I'll I'll do whatever it takes. If it causes me to be a better husband and a better father, I'll do whatever it takes. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Whatever it takes, just get well. You'll, you'll thank yourself in the years to come and your kids will thank you in the years to come as well. Is that okay, pastor? Oh, I saw, I saw the thumbs up. Even three, It's amazing <laughs> technology. It's so amazing. Will you stand with me really quickly? I want to bless you and I want to release you. Ministry team, super quickly. Today, if, if you want to know Jesus, you need healing, these people are praying for you. But I really want to emphasize, if you want to pray for your parenting or your child, I want to encourage you, I know I'm late, that's my bad, but I want to encourage you to, to make room here. I want to end with this statement. I remember one time hearing a pastor, it was, it was John Kilpatrick at the Brownsville Revival, and he said something that stuck with my soul because there have been so many times I felt inadequate in my life. I remember there were times where, you know, I would be so depressed and so just down that Joy would ask me what, and I just told her, I said, I just don't feel like I'm good enough for anything. As a husband, a parent, a pastor, anything, I just don't. And um, when he said this, it really set me free in a lot of ways. He said this. He said, listen, to his elders, he said, I may not be the smartest man in the world. I may not be the most gifted preacher or the best teacher. I may not be the most influential leader. He said, but if God has called me to pastor this church, nobody can do it better than I can. Listen to me. Who cares how other people parent their kids? Who cares? If God has called you to parent your children, nobody can do it better. Father, this morning, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, you can see things in all of us that we can't see. You see the brokenness. You see the places that really just need the tenderizing touch of God, and I wanna pray for all that to come to fruition. Please, Lord, help my words to land well, and forgive me if I've misspoken at times. But I do believe that there's a wave coming of good and godly parents and grandparents and people who influence, but a good and godly wave of children who will shake things around them for the glory of God. God, begin with us. Do it in us. Do it in our homes. Do it in this house. Do it, Father. We will give you honor for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.